We, this morning, are going to take a look in the book of Acts, because we've been going back to the first story of the church and going, does it have anything to say to us in 2022 and what it means to be a church? And I've uh, been a student of the scriptures all my life, personally, uh, formally, in my training, and I've been surprised as I've gone back here to go, wow, like many of the things these first Christians are dealing with are things that we're dealing with in our culture, and they have a lot um, to say to us. And so what I'm going to read to you today, I'll just one passage, and I should have you know, on Thursday, I had kind of where I was going to go, and I go, I need to split this up. So just so you know, um, you're not going to be here forever. I had an old pastor when I was a young guy. He would ask people, he'd preach for an hour, and he'd get to the end of the service. He'd go, who give me 10 minutes? And people would raise their hand. But then he'd start counting out 10, 20, 30, you know, and he'd end up with 60 minutes, and he'd preach for 60 more minutes and blame it on us for raising our hands. But uh, very quick, you stop raising your hands, you know, in that setting. But no, we're going to be here for just about 20 minutes, and then um, I'll cover the second part of this. So this is just the beginning of a two-part of something that I want to talk to you about. Now, if you were to look at commentaries about this passage, we're going to look at Acts chapter 15. If you would look at the commentaries of what, uh, you know, scholars and wise people are writing about this, you're going to see this was a very pivotal moment in the church. Um, This was a moment when the church was in jeopardy of becoming this thing that Jesus intended it to be, or it was going to entirely fall apart. So they began to find their footing in this passage. And I just want to begin by reading it to you, because this is a really important uh, portion of text. So I'm reading Acts chapter 15 with verse 1. It says this, certain individuals came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, now listen, this is the key, unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem, which is the headquarters of the church, to see the apostles and elders and ask them about this question. Okay, so this is what's going on. And you go, well, how does that relate to us? Well, hold on a second. Um, They're having this debate because God seems to be moving in lots of people's hearts and lives. But there is this group of people that says, hey, they're not doing it the way we're doing it. And so we don't think they're saved. How many have wrestled with this question? Uh, If you've been around church culture at all, there are so many different places you go and they say what? Our way of doing it is the way you're truly saved. Um, And that's one of the things that has frustrated me my entire life as a little boy. Like, why do we have to fracture and splinter so much? Why do we have to create these ways and say that this is the only way that you could possibly be saved. And so then we gather with all these people that agree with us, and then what do we do? We, you know, we, we preach against the other people who are doing it a little bit differently than us. Now, hold on a second here. Just stay with me. Let's walk through this text. I know there is a process of discernment, and we're going to talk a little bit about that at some point. But right now, can we just let the text work on us? This is what's happening to these people. There is this debate going on, and they're arguing over who's saved and who isn't saved. And the people who are saying they're saved and the others aren't, 
they're also not acknowledging that something is happening with these other people that is really is of God. So this is what is going on in this text. And the Gentiles are living their lives in such a way that the Jewish Christians are going, oh, something's wrong. Like they, God can't be working in their lives. And so they're creating this argument and debate, and these men are saying, hey, whatever's happening, it's not God, and you aren't, obviously aren't safe. Okay, so here was the thing. In a world of no antiseptic, no um, anesthesia, what they were wanting to require is that grown Gentile men would get circumcised. This is the big debate happening in the church. If you aren't circumcised, you're not saved. So there are these Jewish Christians that have this Jewish way of um, going about their relationship with God, and now the Spirit of God is, is beginning to work in people outside of that Jewish culture called Gentiles, and now the, there are some Jewish Christians that are going, wait a minute, they're not circumcised. Now, I want you to think about this. If you are a Gentile man, all right, and <laughs> adult, and God is moving in your heart and in your life in some real way, and someone comes to you and says, hey, that's not God because you're not circumcised. Are you going to be a little, you're going you're gonna to be a little bit resistant to, to that thing, right? Am I right or wrong on that? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> amen at the right time, Nick. That's the right time to amen. Um, so this is the tension that is going on in this church. Um, and it's, it's really at a pivotal point. Are they going to embrace this work of God in people who are not exactly like them? Or are they going to demand that they do the things that Jewish Christians do? So it really comes down to this. Is the thing that Jesus is doing, is it distinctly or strictly Jewish? Or is it bigger than that? That's what's going on. And that's the tension that they're, they're actually dealing with right here. So, I mean, think about it. There's just, just this one little thing that's coming between you and a God, and it's a thing that we do and you don't. So here's what they do. They go, all right, we have, to, we have to settle this. So they go, let's send someone to headquarters. All right, let's send someone that has been closest to Jesus. Let's send someone who is, and ask them this question, those who, who have ate with Jesus, who have walked with Jesus, who have heard his teachings, who has been closest to him, and let's see what they say. All right, so they send some people there. And I want to read to you what, what they discover here. When some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said to the said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. Okay, is this what needs to happen? After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, You know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. And here's here's what he says. God who knows the heart showed me that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the next of Gentiles what you have not been able to bear. No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus 
that we are saved just as we are. This is a pivotal moment in the church. Are we going to expect people who are experiencing God in some way that's different in us to be exactly like us? Are we just going to celebrate that there's something happening in their heart and in their life and say that it's by grace that God is saving them and by grace that God is saving me? So what is Peter's answer here? It's simply this. We're not going to expect people to jump through hoops. If God is working in their life in some way, then that's good enough. It's a gift. It's grace. We believe that that's how God works in people's hearts. Now, don't mess with that, essentially, I think Peter's saying here. He says, don't confuse and complicate it. Don't add your rules to it right at this moment because it's obvious that something is happening and it's different than what we're experiencing. Now, when I was 35 years old, 34 years old, um, I got hired by a denomination to plant a church. I'd been a student pastor for 12 years, That's, you know, and I was in full-time pastoral work, but I'd never been a lead pastor, and this organization hired me, and, so, and it was going to be a church plant here in Bellevue. And so what's the first thing I do as a young church planner? I start calling around all the church, churches in Bellevue, asking if I can meet with the pastor. I wanted to get to know people. And so I'd pick up the phone, I'd send emails. I must have sent out 30-some emails to people. And sometimes I would get, hey, wishing you the best, don't have time to meet. Um, I got this real nasty email from this one person. Go, I think you ought to talk to your own pastor. You know, don't be calling me. You know, <laughs> which was a real surprise to me. I was just trying to get to know people. I think he thought that I was trying to do something underhandedly, you know, against my pastor or whatever. But, so you encounter all these different things. But there was this one pastor and it was from a particular denomination that, honestly, I wasn't real inspired by. But he was the one that reached out to me. And he shot me, and he, well, yeah, I'd love to meet you. I, had, I knew his name. It was Pastor Mike. But I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know what he looked like. And so we decided we're going to meet at Starbucks. So I'm at Starbucks, and the barista behind the counter, um, he knew lots of people. So I said, hey, I'm meeting this pastor. Do you know him? He goes, no, I, I I don't know him. He goes, but this guy coming in looks like a pastor. So I turn around, a guy's coming in, and he's in a three-piece suit, all right, with a tie on, and I'm in a pair of jeans, a t-shirt, and a ball cap. <laughs> now, um, I'm, just a little bit about me, I'm the type of person I love to be respectful, and, you know, I like to do in Rome like the Romans do, because I don't want to be a distraction in any way. And so, but it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was on a weekend, I just didn't expect him to show up in a suit, but immediately... In my mind, I'm going, oh, I'm on shaky ground already. Like, he's just going to look at me in his ball cap and his T-shirt, and I see him in a suit. And I already had in my head what he's thinking about me, and I already had a bunch of stuff in my heart of what I was thinking about him. So we sit down. George, tell me about you. You know, and we start talking, and I'm telling him, you know, what I'm hoping to do, and I'm just waiting to get rejected. I'm just waiting for, you know, something to go, hey, man, you know, I'm not sure, I'm not sure we could work together, you know. And, but the more I talked, the more he smiled, and the more I was interested to hear what he was up to. And I'll never forget, after an hour with this man, that in my own head, in my own heart, I thought for sure I was going to be rejected. And I was already rejecting him based on what I thought about his denomination. It, here's how our conversation ended. He said, George, I like you. And he said, I'll tell you what. If I ever young people to come to my church that I think would fit your church better, I'm going to send them down to your church. I'm like, really? 
I said, well, I'll tell you what. If I have anyone come to my church that I think fits your church better, I'll send them up to your church. He goes, that sounds like a great deal. And so he put his arm around me, and he prayed this most beautiful prayer. And, and we left, and I was like, wow, that did not go the way I had thought. So I left there with my heart just turning a little more, going, I think I had this all wrong. And both in how he was going to react to me and how I was feeling toward him. Now, i got to tell you, over five years, there were couples that would show up, young couples, and he would, they would say, hey, Pastor Mike sent us down here. We were at his church last week, and he said, I think you'd fit better down there with George. And I'm like, I never had a chance to send anyone to him because there weren't uh, many people that I could send to him. But he sent me at least a half dozen people over a five-year period. And then I remember one time I had a young couple, a couple that was going through something. I reached out to him. And he was so helpful in just teaching me some pastoral wisdom and was God. And he became this dear friend of mine. Now, here's just what I want you to know. Had I not opened my heart just a bit, um, if I wouldn't allowed those notions, those thoughts that I already had built up, um, I probably wouldn't even met with the guy. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to experience this guy's love. And by the way, I just saw him. I did a funeral um, here in Bellevue last weekend, and he, he works at the funeral home. And every time I see him, he gives me the biggest hugs, and I remind him, hey, remember that time you and I met in Starbucks? And, and he's like, yeah, yeah, you always tell me about it. It was so moving in my heart. I felt the love of God in it. And so if he was up here with me, we would look vastly different. And even if you talked to us more deeply, we would have that vastly different views but I would put my arm around this man and I would walk through anything because Jesus, in some beautiful way, brings us together in our uniqueness and our difference. Okay, so here is the radical thing that I think Jesus is doing in this text and how he's guiding the church 2,000 years ago, but even more importantly, how he's guiding you and I. He's wanting us to open our eyes to see the work of God in people who are different than us. I think we are way too fractured and splintered. And we fracture off into just similarity. You know, things, just all people that think just like us. And in fact, we get frustrated if we're in places where people think a little differently than us. And I think in some way, it takes away from the beauty of this thing called the body of Christ. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite Nick to come up. Because this is such a key moment of the church, of being given eyes to see the work of God and others who are different than them. I want to meditate on just, just for a moment. Could this be true for us? I think so. Um, who in your life might you think of, and you could put their name in, that maybe you don't think so favorably of. That if in some beautiful way you just begin to see God work in their heart, would you have eyes to see it? Or would you hold on to whatever that is that frustrates you about them? Maybe it's an enemy at work. Uh, you know, what, what if something began to happen in their heart, in their life? Would you have eyes to see it? Because that's what's happening here in this first church. And Jesus is trying to open their hearts to that. Let me say this. Um, I know for a fact there are people in this room who voted for Joe Biden 
And I know there are people in this room for a fact that voted for Donald Trump. Do we have eyes to see the work of God and someone who voted for a different presidential candidate? Can I be honest? Sometimes I wonder if we can. Um, Because we do a lot of damage when we can't. How about, is it a Christian from a different stream or a different flavor than than you? Um, You know, the ones that have it all wrong because you have it all right. (laughs) Um, We have eyes to see God's spirit at work in them. I want to read something to you. And Nick, if you could help us after a few of these phrases. I really want us to take this in. When we claim and constantly reclaim the truth of being the chosen ones, we soon discover within ourselves a deep desire to reveal to others their own chosenness. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see. I want to see. Instead of making us feel that we are better, more precious or valuable than others, um, our awareness of being chosen opens our eyes to the chosenness of others. We sing. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see. I want to see. This is the great joy of being chosen. The discovery that others are chosen as well. Um, I've discovered this in situations and conversations and relationships that have surprised me. Um, But I think when we can open our hearts to that, there's a great joy in that. When I could see someone vastly different to me and see their goodness and see God working in their heart in some beautiful way. But there is a place for everyone, a unique, special place Once we deeply trust that we ourselves are precious in God's eyes, we are able to recognize the preciousness of others in their unique place in God's heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see. I want to see Okay, we're just we're going with the text here, right? Hang, hang with me. Um, this is vitally, vitally important. Um, I don't ever want to lose the sense of that in what we teach, in what we're becoming in our hearts as human beings in the world. Um, but we have some discerning work to do too. So I want to just turn this just for a second because there's a very specific way that I want us to be, I hope, 
we could be discerning people in the world because I think that's what Jesus is, in, is inviting these first Christians to do here. But uh, James, they, they take it to James eventually, and he's one of the um, apostles. He's the brother of Jesus. They're trying to get as close as they can to the person of Jesus. Go, help us understand this question. Because they're experiencing God differently and they're not saved in the way we think we should, does that mean they're not saved? Does that mean God's not in work, at work in their lives? Okay, can you help us answer this? So they go to James, the brother of Jesus, who's been very close to Jesus. And he says this. This is his answer to Peter. He says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from foods polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues of every Sabbath. Now, here's what's happening. The first thing this person very close to Jesus says to these church leaders in Antioch, I don't think you should get in the way. Don't get in the way. But there are some things that we need to work out. There are some things that we need to discern together. But can we start from the point of this, we're not going to bring judgment to others. But we are going to have conversations of how we go about this. So we agree that God's working in them. Now can we do the work of discerning together what it means to be the body of Christ together? What does it mean to be a community that lives together in the tension of this? So here is just a thing that I want you to think about as you leave here today. It's this. There is this discerning of what is right and wrong in God's kingdom, but there is also this discerning of sensitivity to others in God's kingdom. These two things work together in tension. And we have, to, we have to hold them both. So that's exactly what's happening here. Hey, there are these Jewish Christians, and they've always done it this way, and these are things that matter to them. We don't, want, we don't want to deny and get in the way of what God is doing here, but these things matter to us, so can we bring that into this space, and can you meet us here, and can we have a conversation about it? I think this is one of the most beautiful things that could possibly happen. So we have this discerning work that, we need to do. And I'll talk more about that um, down the road here. But what is it? It's right and wrong, of course, in God's kingdom. But it's what is sensitive to others in God's kingdom too. Can this be a space where we, we can hold those things in tension? I hope so. So discerning is this. If you're going to take Jesus seriously, and I've been doing this for a long time, I've been surprised at where my life has led me. And the times where I didn't have answers for what was right and wrong. I didn't, it wasn't always clear. The rules, the way it was supposed to be, wasn't always clear to me. But what was clear is somehow God was at work in it all, right in the midst. And my responsibility was to discern right and wrong, but also to be sensitive to others. And somehow in the midst of that, there's this beautiful thing that begins to happen in both of our hearts and lives. One more story, and then uh, I'm going to close. Uh, when, I, when I was that young pastor at 34, 
I did a small group with about 15 musicians. They said, hey, we want to do a Bible study. Would you do one for us? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to do that. So we met at my house the first time. And as you do in any group, you kind of begin to talk about what are the rules for this group? You know, we're going to talk about the Bible, but what are some of the rules? And I'll never forget this. Um, Someone in this group who uh, had grew up in a very strict culture and environment as a Christian, they said, well, I think, I think we should be allowed to drink beer here and, um, you know, as we study the Bible. And, you know, I think I feel Jesus and drinking beer aren't incompatible. And so we think that could happen here. And so some of the guys were like, yes, amen. I'm like, amen at all the wrong times. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. We think we should drink some beer. And someone, okay, um, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess that's fine. Well, then there was a guy across the table. He said, I'm not so comfortable with that. I'm like, why? What's so? He said, alcoholism destroyed my family. He goes, as a little boy, I grew up and both my parents were alcoholics. Their parents were alcoholics. He said, I don't have anything to do with alcohol. I don't, I don't want to bring it into this space. And I knew right there, okay, this is going to be a long discussion tonight because we got one side of the room that is finding freedom, which is a good thing, which I celebrated. But on this side of the room, that freedom did not seem like freedom or a good thing at all. And would you believe we spent the rest of the night talking about that? And uh, it was one of the most beautiful moments because I think the people who felt this freedom were like, well, I didn't even think about that. And I th- but what I saw from the people who were, uh, you know, it violated their perspective either just because it was detrimental to their well-being or they saw it be detrimental to other people. They actually acknowledged, I'm glad you have more freedom in that. And so it wasn't something that could be easily resolved, but we ended with this. I will honor you if you will honor me. So essentially, don't be all bold in my face about your beer and you being comfortable with that. But what I will do, if that's meaningful to you, I'm I'm okay. So it was just this beautiful thing that began to happen and I saw people come together. So here's just what I'm going to leave you with. Let's have some sensitivity to be in this all together. And can we allow these places where where Jesus can meet us and can meet others and just see where it takes us together and not be so judgmental and be willing that you might have found freedom in something that could be very hindering to someone else. So don't be so bold in your face like that's the greatest thing in the world because it may not be for someone else. But I would equally say this. If something has been, you know, that has brought bondage to your life and someone else has a relationship with it that doesn't bring bondage to your life, celebrate that too. Because I think that's what it means to be the church. So what is a church? I want to leave you with this. It's a group of people with eyes to see the work of God's Spirit in others who may be different than them, which sometimes takes us to confusing places where we pray together, we discern together, we care for each other, and with gentleness and sensitivity, we keep moving forward in Christ.